Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When a beloved school custodian is savagely stabbed to death in his own bed... He had a massive amount of trauma, multiple wounds. The crime is so cruel, the gentle folk of Wichita almost wonder if they're in Kansas anymore. It was such a brutal attack, and not knowing who did this can be very scary. Locals ask who would be heartless enough to do in such a sweet soul. How could the nicest man have been murdered? It just didn't make any sense. A stack of photos gives detectives a six-pack of faces that could include the callous killer. He's a predator, and he used an extreme amount of violence. But only a lucky break shows police which of the victim's best friends may have become his worst enemy. I'm thinking, yeah, he probably did it, and this will prove it, but we'll find out. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? The Midwestern town of Wichita, Kansas, springs up from the farm fields of America's heartland. Tracing its name to the Wichita Indians, this little city on the prairie has a pioneering spirit. There's a connection between that part of our history back then and even today. The Chisholm Trail runs through downtown where the cowboys used to go into bars and they used to fight. But the cowboys' barroom brawls have given way to the mild-mannered Midwestern values Wichitans take pride in. Wichitan, that's how we say it. If your car breaks down, a bunch of people are going to stop and push your car, and they won't stop there. They'll say, well, do you need any money, or can I take you someplace? If anyone could be a poster child for this hospitable hamlet, it's 57-year-old native James Mayberry. While Mayberry lives alone in a cute little cottage at 14th and Erie, his nephew, Elliot, never finds him lonely. I would visit my uncle's house a lot of times, and there'd be at least four or five other people there, and they're usually people he was either feeding or helping. He was always trying to help people that were in need. It's Mayberry's caring attitude that makes him the most popular custodian at the town's elementary school for a quarter century. 
co-worker Tracy Callard recalls how everyone in the building respects him. Everyone called Mr. Mayberry, Mr. Mayberry, even though our principal was Michael, but James was always Mr. Mayberry. Although he's now retired, students and staff still remember him well. After all, he's renowned for keeping the school squeaky clean and for recipes that could win a contest at the Wichita County Fair. Mr. Mayberry was an incredible cook, and even though he had diabetes himself and he couldn't eat a lot of what he would make, he would make lunches for the entire teaching staff. But since retiring, Mayberry's hung up his baking pans and broom to take time to smell the roses. Until one spring day when his sunny life is taken by storm. Sergeant Mike Zakowski is a 10-year veteran of the Wichita Police Force. So he knows that a bad guy can steal his free time as easily as he can rob a bank. You don't try to make plans to go do anything because uh, you never know what's going to change from one minute to the next, and that's why you keep doing the job. So when a curious call comes in at 5 p.m. Friday, May 30th, 2002, Zakowski's on it like a Kansas cowboy riding down a stray steer. Resident Dane Mendoza is a bit on edge after finding something strange outside his house that morning. A seemingly ordinary blue plastic bag. That's anything but. Inside this bag was a knife or two, and there were some paper towels. And a condom was there to... When Zakowski hears that the knives and paper towels are covered in blood and the condom is used, he heads to the scene. As soon as he arrives, the homeowner hands over the bag. Inside, the wallet is empty of cash, but it does contain the driver's license of a James Mayberry. Zakowski quickly puts two and two together. Looks like Mr. Mayberry may be in a heap of trouble. Good thing he lives just two miles away. When Zakowski arrives, no one answers his knock. So he tries the door, and he's surprised to find it's unlocked. There's no sign of forced entry. But sensing foul play, he makes his way back to the bedroom. A male was lying on a bed under some covers. However, he appears to be naked underneath. He had multiple stab wounds to the upper body and head. It was a very violent attack. The sergeant immediately assesses the scene. Initially, I would say that he put up a fight. Just by the way, the body was kind of wrapped up in the sheets and on the bed. So it was like somebody actually got there and attacked him. It could have been a random attack. It could have been a domestic violence type incident. Um, and it just took quite a bit because he was a pretty big guy. Based on the driver's license photo, the victim is a dead ringer for James Mayberry. The sergeant isn't sure why he met such a brutal end. But Zakowski quickly test drives a few theories. A naked person in a bed, one could assume, yes, that there was sex involved. Uh, could he have been attacked in his sleep by a partner or was it a robbery? Uh, you don't know until you go through everything. To help him do that, Zakowski calls in a guy who can pick over a crime scene as carefully as a turkey vulture cleaning up roadkill. 
Wichita police detective Kelly Otis doesn't mind that he's called in on Friday night because he loves his work, even when it isn't easy. The most challenging part of being a detective in homicide is separating yourself from their feelings, at least for a while, so that you can objectively work the case. And as Otis makes for Mayberry's address, he's got his head in the game. You're just kind of trying to prepare yourself for whatever kind of murder it is, and you just kind of walk into it and figure it out when you get there. When Detective Otis arrives, he scours the house as thoroughly as a combine harvesting a field of corn. And no kernel of evidence gets past him. Once we got into the bedroom, we found a box of condoms. It certainly appeared that he had been involved in some type of sexual activity, either at the time or, or right before his death. And these condoms are the same brand as the used one found in the plastic bag. Near the condoms is a stack of photos that might help police capture James's killer. We've recovered some Polaroid photographs. The Polaroids all appeared to have been taken inside of Mr. Mayberry's home. And so the chore began to identify the guys in the Polaroids. Mayberry isn't in any of the photos, but each one shows a man smiling for the camera. They could be James's friends. But one man, maybe more than that, he's naked as a jaybird. It became apparent fairly quickly that Mr. Mayberry was possibly homosexual. Police hope the Polaroids of his buddies will serve as makeshift mugshots, giving them a glimpse of James's killer. The detective safely seals the photos in an envelope and continues his hunt through the house. In the bathroom, he flushes out another important clue. We had a wastebasket and there wasn't a bag in it. We detected that the bag laying in those folks' yard probably came from that wastebasket because the paper towels inside the bag that were bloody matched the paper towels in Mayberry's home. There's no telling whose DNA the crime lab will find on the items in the bag, but who done it remains one big question. The other is why. Why would anyone hurt such a sweet-natured soul? Why? is also the first question Mayberry's nephew, Elliot, asks when he gets the terrible news. He can't believe someone could have killed a man who lived to help others. He basically lived his life by example, just by being a kind, supportive person, because he was a role model. I was angry. You know, how could this happen to him? Why him specifically? Police promise to answer that question. And right now, they have their sights set on the photos found in James's bedroom. And in particular, on the man who put on a show for the camera. One of the Polaroids in the stack was somewhat racy. Could have been somebody he knows well who would give us information on his personal life. Will the exhibitionist bear all when it comes to revealing the killer? Police hope his snapshot will make finding Mayberry's murderer just that a snap. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professional you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Kansas is known for the spring twisters that tear up the prairie. But the day after gentle janitor James Mayberry is found stabbed in his bed... It's the citizens of Wichita who are blown away by the news. He was the nicest, kindest man who never had a bad word to say about anyone. I couldn't think of a soul who would want to harm him. Police won't rest until they find out and catch the killer. And Detective Kelly Otis starts with the rogues gallery of Polaroids he found in Mayberry's bedroom. There are nine photos showing different men who seem like friends and one of a naked man, who may be something more. It certainly appeared that, obviously, this gentleman might have been a past or a current sexual partner of James Mayberry. Detective Otis studies the faces in each picture, hoping they're worth a thousand words when it comes to explaining Mayberry's fate. But they don't reveal much. The Polaroid photos didn't have dates on them. We couldn't determine if they were new, old, recent. So Otis turns to his co-workers for help. We went through the Polaroids. I actually shared them with some other detectives that might know people. 
Since most of the men have crossed paths with police for minor crimes, detectives do recognize many of them. And with the IDs, a new picture of Mayberry begins to emerge. From the outside, Mr. Mayberry appeared to be a very unlikely victim of a homicide. Uh, however, it appeared that he had maybe several or potentially several friends that he would hang out with. It seems the caring custodian had a soft spot for helping these friends in need. And when police put names to the men who are clothed, Detective Otis starts pounding the pavement looking for them. And we were able to track those folks down. Eventually, we cleared most of the individuals in the Polaroids. The only one still unidentified is the man in the provocative pose. And since detectives believe Mayberry was murdered in a fit of passion, maybe this is a portrait of his killer. So Otis continues knocking on doors looking for the Polaroid poser. Luckily, some neighbors remember seeing him at the house. We were told about a gentleman who frequented Mr. Mayberry's home. He would sometimes stay over when he needed a place to stay. He would bum cigarettes, borrow money from James. And so we began trying to find that gentleman. The neighbors ID the man as 47-year-old Xavier Summers. But no one has seen him for five or six years. And when Otis's supervisor takes a closer look at the photo, he instantly knows why. The individual in that Polaroid was identified by my supervisor, who knew him from a previous case and knew him to still be in prison. In fact, Summers has been in the slammer since 1996 for killing two Wichita women. The news sends Detective Otis right back to square one. He knows that if he's going to win this deadly game of Clue, he needs his partner on the case. Dana Gouge and I have been partners in homicide since 1998. We've worked about 300 murders together. For Detective Dana Gouge, serving on the Wichita Homicide Squad is the only job he's ever wanted. Even when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a police officer, and I always dreamed, even as a kid, about being a detective. Gouge and Otis are a dynamic duo when it comes to crime fighting. Detective Otis is really good at developing relationships with people, very outgoing, kind of gregarious personality. I'm always pretty calm. I try to maintain a pretty even keel. The two made a name for themselves back in 2004 when they slapped the cuffs on the notorious Wichita-based serial killer, BTK. The BTK case was 11 months of torture. It teaches you the stick to You know, you don't ever give up on a case. Otis and Gouge are just as determined to solve Mayberry's murder. So they kick the tires of a new clue, a van neighbors say is missing from in front of Mayberry's house. He owned a Ford Aerostar van, and maybe we could find the van, maybe we could find the killer. Detectives put out an APB for the van, and officers soon spot it in front of a suburban home in a neighborhood all too familiar in this case. The missing van was recovered about two blocks away from where the plastic sack containing the evidence was found. But how did the van end up so close to the bag stuffed with two bloody knives, a used condom, and Mr. Mayberry's wallet? Could be the killer stole Mayberry's van, drove it a couple of miles, then tossed out the bag and ditched the wheels. There's no telling why he left it here, but police are glad he did. 
disposing of a bag of incriminating evidence in someone's front yard wouldn't be the best way to perhaps do it if you wanted to get away with murder. Not real smart, but we want them to be stupid. Hoping the killer wasn't any smarter when he stole the van, the forensics team dusts it for fingerprints and finds some on the steering wheel. Then, while forensics tries to match the prints to a perp, detectives keep watch on the vehicle. We hoped that maybe the suspect would return to the van. Uh, We set on it. We put up surveillance on the van. But no one turns up. And the results from forensics don't put detectives any closer to getting their hands on the killer. We found several fingerprints in the van, but all of them came back to James Mayberry. At the crime lab, techs are having no better luck with the bag of evidence. The blood on the knives belongs to James Mayberry. But the DNA inside the used condom is someone else's. And the puzzler is whose. I felt very, very strongly that the killer's DNA was inside that condom. If detectives can find a match for that DNA, they'll have their man. So they turn to a database of criminals for help. The lab put the unknown male contributor DNA into the system to check for any matches, and there were none. Detectives are as disappointed as farmers during a summer drought. But they keep plowing new ground. A day after the body is found, they hope to harvest a bumper crop of information from the autopsy. Otis and I actually went to the Forensic Science Center at that time and met with the coroner to discuss the case. When James's body is wheeled in, the coroner confirms that the victim recently had sex and died from multiple stab wounds. James Mayberry had been stabbed three times in the chest and then seven times in the neck and throat area. The coroner believes that any of the deep wounds could have killed the man. But it's the viciousness of the cuts that confirms detectives' hunch that the victim knew his killer. The multiple stab wounds indicate someone that was angry. We don't generally get that angry at somebody that we don't know. But finding someone who knew the generous janitor and wanted to kill him is like looking for a needle in a Kansas haystack. Detectives can only hit the streets and try to drum up some neighbors they haven't contacted before. Shoe leather, police work, knocking on doors, tracking down people. Detectives scrub through the neighborhood one more time, and a neighbor recalls a man who may be worth a chat. We come up with the name of Marvin Carey as being a gentleman who lives in the neighborhood, off and on, kind of couch surfs. Police know 25-year-old Marvin Carey all too well. He's a cool customer with a hot rap sheet. Mr. Carey had some assaults in his past, and I believe he had a conviction for carrying a firearm as well. What detectives didn't know about Carey's past is that he was a friend of Mayberry's. The neighbor recalls seeing him at the kindly custodian's home within the past month. Seems Mayberry just can't turn anyone away. He was known to spend time at Mayberry's home and borrow money and cigarettes from James Mayberry when he needed them. Marvin Carey sure sounds suspicious, but is he just a demanding friend or a desperate killer? (laughs) 
two weeks after beloved school custodian James Mayberry is brutally murdered in his own bed, the killer is still on the loose. And the friendly folks of Wichita, Kansas can't believe someone so evil lurks among them. Even Wichita Eagle crime reporter Mark McCormick finds this case especially horrific. Finding someone dead in their house, stabbed to death, is a very unusual instance. I think any homicide of that type would be shocking. Good thing the A-team is on the case. Detectives Kelly Otis and Dana Gouge are chasing a lead that's hotter than Kansas in August. A friend of Mayberry's named Marvin Carey. Mr. Carey certainly had knowledge of Mayberry's home, would have been allowed in without having to force entry, and had borrowed money from Mayberry in the past. So that put him up to the level of somebody we definitely needed to talk to. The team puts out a bolo for Carey that morning, and an officer spots him by noon. Strangely enough, he's just up the street from where police found Mayberry's van and a bag containing the murder weapons and the victim's ID. But when the officer asks Carey about Mayberry, his actions speak louder than words. Mr. Carey seemed suspicious to the detective because he wasn't very nice. Uh, he was extremely angry and refused basically to cooperate with the investigation. The officer manages to sweet-talk Carey into coming to the station, promising detectives have just a few questions. But once Carey's in the hot seat, he's in an especially sour mood, and he shoots down detectives in no time flat when they ask him for a DNA sample. When Mr. Carey didn't give the DNA, that certainly raises our level of suspicion. It does put a light on you in a case where we're just simply trying to find out who killed your friend. Carey won't say why he refuses the simple swab, but he swears he's not the killer. So detectives let him off the hook for the moment and focus on his alibi. He gave us some names of people he'd been around. We certainly tracked those people down. It's no surprise that Carey's friends confirm his story. But their statements are no substitute for DNA, and detectives finally convince Carey to part with a little. Maybe, just maybe, they're about to make a match to what was left behind in the condom. We don't want to get too excited about anybody. Certainly it's suspicious the way he was acting. But if Carey seems like a sure thing, these detectives have enough time on the job to know it isn't over until the DNA matches. And while they wait for the lab results, detectives keep an eye on Carey. They also ask Mayberry's friends to rack their Rolodexes for any more questionable characters in the kind-hearted custodian's life. They come up with the name Chris Chambers. Two of Mr. Mayberry's friends were both aware of Mr. Chambers and were afraid of him. In fact, one of them told us that he would not allow Chambers into his home because of Chambers' alcohol, drug use, and his propensity for violence. But friends do recall seeing the 31-year-old at Mayberry's house over the past year. And they say Chris Chambers took advantage of his host, knowing Mayberry was a sucker for a hard luck story. Mayberry loaned Chambers some money. Chambers refused to pay it back later, and when he was asked about the money, he physically assaulted Mr. Mayberry. So detectives fire up their search engines to find out more. It seems Chambers has a record for domestic violence and drug charges. So that was someone that we really wanted to find. 
and as quickly as possible. Detectives have their fingers crossed that maybe Chambers is their man. Mayberry had his van stolen, his wallet was empty of money. It certainly seemed possible that Chambers went to borrow money, was told no, and reacted violently. Since Chambers is familiar in Mayberry's hood, when detectives issue a local pickup for him, officers quickly do just that. Chambers comes to the station willingly, but soon becomes as stubborn as a two-year-old at bedtime. Mr. Chambers was extremely uncooperative. We tried to interview him about his whereabouts on the, the day that the homicide occurred. He would not account for his whereabouts, claimed that he could not remember. He was certainly not very polite in the interview. Chambers claims he had nothing to do with Mayberry's death. But without an alibi, detectives aren't buying it. Then Otis tells him he can clear his name if he'll just provide a DNA swab. No surprise, Chambers turns down the offer. He told us in no uncertain terms that he was not going to give us DNA. And he was done talking to us and he wanted to leave. He used far more colorful language than that. So detectives move on to plan C with this surly suspect. With no evidence, they release him. But they haven't given up on getting what they need. There are several ways to get somebody's DNA without their consent, if you can follow them long enough to get them to drop a cigarette butt, discard a soda cup. Detectives plan to watch Chambers 24-7 like cats glued to a laser pointer, hoping he'll slip up sooner or later. He had risen to the very top of the suspect list, not only because of his history with Mayberry, but because of his current attitude and uncooperativeness. So Detective Gouge and a colleague load Chambers into a police car and start to work the plan. They'll drop him off where he wants to go and then tail him like a hound on a fox. However, that plan was kind of foiled during the ride home, and as they were sitting at a traffic light, he jumped out of the detective car and took off running. As sure as the Jayhawks are good at college hoops, detectives' hottest prospect just slam-dunked an escape, making him their top draft pick or Mayberry's killer. I would have lost money if someone would have bet me that he was not the killer. Detectives may be on the losing team for now, but they won't quit until they win the game. Almost two months after soft-hearted school custodian James Mayberry falls victim to a vicious killer, Mayberry's friend and co-worker Tracy Callard is desperate to know whether cops are closing in on the criminal. We had no idea what was happening with the investigation. I read the Wichita Eagle religiously, and there were just no updates. But off the record, detectives have been running themselves ragged, trying to find prime suspect Chris Chambers. No one knows where Chambers went since he bolted from a police car after refusing to give up his DNA. He ran off into the neighborhood, disappeared into the night, so to say, and so... Uh, We started trying to hunt him down again. It doesn't help that Chambers has no fixed address of his own. He kind of lived with people, slept on their couches, wherever he could find a place. So finding him was difficult. Police are as frustrated as Wiley Coyote chasing Roadrunner. But if and when detectives find Chambers, 
they're determined to have a plan D in place. D, as in DNA. Detective Gouge and I sat down and we put together all of the probable cause we could come up with to see if we could get Mr. Chambers' DNA through a warrant. Good thing they have a friend in high places to help them out with that. Prosecutor Kim Parker is proud to put the law in law and order for the people of Wichita, Kansas. For her, the two go together like fried dough and a county fair. One of the things that I've really enjoyed is that we have a very close working relationship with law enforcement, Uh, particularly on murder cases. They often say, well, we have this case. What kinds of things would we need? Can I assist them in some way? Do they need a search warrant from a judge here? Those are exactly the questions detectives Otis and Gouge are asking now. And Prosecutor Parker pulls just the right strings to get them a warrant for Chambers' DNA. They come to me for, hey, we found him. We need a search warrant to get his swab. It's always helpful to law enforcement. It helps them in putting their case together. But even armed with the warrant, detectives still need a little help from some other friends to find Chris Chambers. So they call in the beat cops working Mayberry's neighborhood. Chris Chambers was public enemy number one at that point. Since officers in that area were familiar with him already, we asked them if they could find him to let us know immediately. Two days later, patrol officers track down Chambers on foot, not far from Mayberry's house. When Otis and Gouge get a hold of him, he's not exactly pleased to see them. Mr. Chambers was as uncooperative with us the second time as he was the first, only this time we were armed with the power of a search warrant. Knowing he's boxed into a corner, Chambers finally gives up his DNA. And detectives hope this time they can spring the trap. You try not to get too emotional, but, you know, yeah, at the time I'm thinking, yeah, he probably did it, and this will prove it. Now that police have snagged this shifty suspect, they're not about to let him slip away again. But as detectives wait to hear if it's Chambers' DNA in the condom taken from the crime scene, they stay in the hunt. We branched out into any name that came up during the investigation. We went after sex offenders in the area. The suspect pool became exponentially higher at that point. But when a year goes by, investigators are no closer to solving this stubborn case. I can't say you really get bummed. You can be disappointed. With the case gone cold as an ice cream headache, detectives Otis and Gouge find that some days the best remedy is a hot cup of coffee at their favorite diner. (laughs) When you work these cases and you take them seriously and you take that responsibility to heart, it's extremely stressful. And while it seems such dedicated detectives would need an escape valve, like a relaxing hobby... This is it for these two. (laughs) No, I do not have any hobbies. You know, I was was, uh, trying to think of something. You know, know, I'm extremely boring. I'm not a photographer. I don't gamble. I don't have enough money to gamble. You know, I'm not a fisherman. And I'm not really a good golfer either. By now, Otis and Gouge have been working Mabry's murder for so long that they're wondering whether they'll ever get a break. That's when Dana Gouge gets the news he's been dreaming of. I'm sitting at my desk and I get a phone call from the DNA analyst. He called and said, 
hey, Dana, I got a DNA hit on this case. That's an excellent call. Very excited. I was very surprised and very happy. A DNA match on a what has now turned into a cold case is the best evidence you could hope for. Seems the only question now is whether Marvin Carey or Chris Chambers has lost the lottery and matches the DNA left at Mayberry's murder scene. Detectives are confident they're about to reap the rewards of their hard work and cash in on the killer. More than a year after the murder of school custodian James Mayberry, police have whittled the suspect list down to two. Marvin Carey and Chris Chambers. Both are violent ex-cons who often hung out at Mayberry's home. But when the DNA comes back from the lab, detectives Otis and Gouge are in for a shock. Instead of prime suspects Carey and Chambers, the match is 34-year-old Paul Drayton. That name had never came up in this investigation. In fact, that was the first time we'd heard the name Paul Drayton involving the Mayberry case. So while it seems like detectives have hit the jackpot, one $64,000 question remains. Who is this mystery man? And where is he hiding? There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Number one, locating Paul Drayton. We need to try to find out where Drayton is and set in motion what needs to be done next. Detectives soon find out that Paul Drayton is a career criminal with a hot sheet of charges ranging from armed robbery to theft to assault. Right now, he's cooling his heels in a Texas prison, and prosecutor Kim Parker plans to help lock him up for good. It's very exciting. Now, obviously, there's still work to be done. How are you going to connect this guy to James Mayberry? How do you make that connection? Sure, investigators have Paul Drayton's DNA from a used condom linked to Mayberry's murder. But how did an inmate serving time in Texas for robbery murder James Mayberry in his Kansas home? Detective Otis wastes no time rooting out the answer. As we looked further into his record, we learned that on his latest prison time, he'd been released from Dallas prison in custody to Sedgwick County on Wichita, Kansas, because of an old court commitment that was still outstanding. So Drayton was in Wichita at the time of Mayberry's murder, serving time for two burglaries. But then comes the shocker. He was sprung on May 29th, 2002. Drayton was released from the Sedgwick County Jail on the day before Mr. Mayberry was discovered. Is it possible Drayton left jail, walked the mile or so over to Mayberry's house, then killed him? We have to have a trip to Texas and try to figure out how he and James Mayberry fit together. So Wichita detectives contact police in the Lone Star State quicker than a Nolan Ryan fastball. I contacted the Texas Rangers, not the baseball team. And the Texas Rangers arranged for us to interview Drayton inside the prison. Detectives Otis and Gouge fly down to meet Paul Drayton, and they find this professional perp isn't one to choke under pressure. Even when they pitch him a few tough questions, Drayton seems surprisingly willing to play ball. Mr. Drayton immediately admitted to knowing James Mayberry. He told us that he had talked to Mayberry over the phone while he was in prison. He considered him a friend. 
So police press Drayton to tell them what he knows about his friend's murder. But they don't tip their hand about his DNA match, just to see how he plays his cards. Instead of bluffing, Drayton admits he visited Maybury the day before the murder. He said he, when he got to James's home, said he stayed for 10 minutes or so, asked James how everything was, and then he walked to the bus station where he later grabbed some food and then caught a bus to Dallas, where he'd go back to prison. And that's when the slippery suspect starts to trip himself up. He made the comment, I don't know why you think I killed him. I had my own money. But I never mentioned anything about a robbery or missing money. He brought that into the conversation, and I, I guarantee you he regrets that to this day. Since only the killer would know that James's wallet had been emptied out, it looks to Otis like Drayton may have murdered Mayberry for the money. We don't know how much money Mayberry had. You know, he might have had $500 in his wallet. Everybody said he, he paid cash for everything. So it certainly had the, the aspects that it could have been a robbery-motivated killing. Combine Drayton's knowledge of the cash with the DNA tying him to the crime, and the counts against him are adding up faster than the national debt. What doesn't compute is that Drayton denies having had sex with Mayberry. But the condom full of Drayton's DNA found with the murder weapons says otherwise. So Detective Otis calls him on it. Mr. Drayton, at that point, was proven to be a liar and had obviously had contact with Mayberry on the day of his murder. And there was no reason for him to lie unless he was trying to cover up his involvement. Seems every seed Detective Otis plants sprouts a new lie from Drayton. His DNA certainly began digging the grave. His lying and trying to come up with the story to fit just pulled some more dirt out of the hole. With enough evidence to bury Drayton in court, police arrest him on charges of first-degree murder. James's nephew, Elliot, who took his uncle's death so hard, takes some comfort in the killer's arrest. I thought this guy would probably get away. I thought maybe he wasn't an important enough person for the police to investigate it any further. And apparently, the detectives worked real hard to solve the case. And on June 30th, 2005, three years after James Mayberry was stabbed to death in his own bed, Paul Drayton is convicted of the crime and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. I'm very happy, not just because it's serves a sense of justice, but also so that this won't happen to someone else like Mr. Mayberry. Based on the evidence used at the trial, detectives believe the crime played out like this. It all starts on Thursday, May 29, 2002, when Drayton walks out of a Wichita detention facility, a free man. Our theory of the case is that Paul Drayton attempted to contact people to borrow money to get back to Dallas. In hopes of funding his trip home, Drayton walks to James Mayberry's house, where he knows his friend always has cash on hand. When he drops by, detectives believe the two have sex. But what Drayton's really after is some easy money. Where's the money? I Where's money? I'm sure that Drayton took the money out of the wallet so that he'd have cash. Sometime that night, Drayton stabs Mayberry to death using two kitchen knives. 
It's a horrible end for the kindly custodian. I believe Paul Drayton used an extreme amount of violence because he knew that if he left Mr. Mayberry alive, he'd be easily identified and he'd go back to prison. He's a predator. After Drayton takes all he can get, he tries to cover his tracks. He stuffs the evidence into a plastic bag and hopes to wash away every trace. We believe that he cleaned blood off of himself, uh, cleaned the bathroom sink using some paper towels, and then took the entire trash sack with him to get rid of the evidence. But lucky for police, this seasoned sociopath doesn't have much common sense. He tosses the bag onto a suburban lawn. Drayton's actions of disposing this evidence into the front yard of a law-abiding citizen caused him to ultimately be captured and convicted of first-degree murder. Detectives believe Drayton then hops a bus home to Dallas, never looking back. I feel really glad to put a guy like that in prison so that he can't do this ever again. It's just unfortunate for Mayberry's family and his friends that they had to go through this. I can't imagine what goes through someone's mind that knows that they've killed someone. He took my uncle, he's where he belongs. James Mayberry's family and friends are relieved that his killer is off the streets. And they'll always remember the custodian whose Kansas-style kindness won so many hearts as an inspiration. Mr. Mayberry was a great representation of a Wichita native. He was helpful, kind, friendly, and willing to go above and beyond to help someone. No one will ever be like a James Mayberry. They don't make them like that anymore. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.